0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in for this Monday, November 14th edition. Well, coming up almost a week after the midterm elections and control of the House of Representatives. Well, it's still up in the air. We'll go to Capitol Hill for an update from Washington Watch reporter Marjorie Jackson in just a moment. But first, President Biden wrapped up his trip to the COP27 Global Summit on the climate, which was held in Egypt.
2: My commitment to this issue has been unwavering. Today, finally, thanks to the actions we've taken, I can stand here as President of the United States of America and say with confidence, the United States of America will meet our emissions targets by 2030. We're racing forward to do our part to avert
1: the climate hell that the u.n secretary general so passionately warned about earlier this week well speaking of hell yesterday in conjunction with the climate confab multi-faith leaders gathered near mount sinai and in high places around the world for what well for climate repentance the leaders unveiled a mock tablet of the 10 principles for climate repentance now have i not said this climate stuff is a religion now, we're going to talk about it a little bit later. Well, after leaving Cairo, President Biden headed to Indonesia for the G20 summit, where he met with Chinese communist leader Xi Jinping today.
2: We had an open and candid conversation about our intentions and our priorities. It was clear. He was clear and I was clear. that we will defend American interests and values, promote universal human rights, And stand up for the international order and work in lockstep with our allies and partners. We're going to compete vigorously, but I'm not looking for conflict. I'm looking to manage this competition responsibly.
1: We'll discuss it with Asian expert Gordon Chang in just a moment. Also, the vote count uh, trickling in from Arizona and Nevada over the weekend. Democrats are claiming victory and control over the United States Senate. Tonight, with the victories in Arizona, And Nevada Democrats will remain the majority party in the Senate
0: and I will remain majority leader
1: well that was a happy Senate Democrat leader Chuck Schumer on Saturday night now we've gotten word that Senator Schumer is going to be moving forward with a vote on the so-called Respect for Marriage Act now we're going to get the latest from that and what else is happening in the lame duck session of Congress from FRC actions Matt Carpenter Later, here on this edition of Washington Watch. And finally, Mario Bramnik joins us to talk about a night to celebrate Israel, which will be held at the Museum of the Bible this coming Wednesday night. The word for today comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to me, Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. The prophet Hosea was instructed by God to go after his unfaithful wife who had made sexual promiscuity a lifestyle. She literally became a slave to her sin. According to the law, she should have been stoned, but God told Hosea to go get her, buy her out of her slavery and love her again. Wow, what a picture of God's love for us. Mankind rejected God and we became slaves to sin. So he sends Jesus to find us by our freedom, by his own death. To join us in our journey through the Bible, go to TonyPerkins.com. Republicans are six seats short of taking control of the U.S. House of Representatives with 19 races still undecided. Now Republican candidates are currently leading in 10 of those 19 races. Right now, the Republican House conference is meeting behind closed doors here in Washington to hear what are essentially campaign pitches from those vying to lead the GOP in the 118th Congress, which begins in January. Washington watches Marjorie Jackson is on Capitol Hill. Marjorie, thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me, Tony. I am here on Capitol Hill, right above the Capitol Visitor Center, actually, where Republicans are having their first formal uh, candidate forum where they are discussing future House leadership for the upcoming Congress. Now, several Republicans have said that they want to delay voting on House leadership until after all the Republican races have been called. Uh, But if this postponing doesn't end up happening, then Representative Andy Biggs of Arizona will be going against Representative Kevin McCarthy of California for the role of Speaker of the House. Another name that has been tossed around as a potential Speaker candidate is Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio.
1: So they have the uh, kind of the campaign pitches tonight. What happens from here?
3: Yeah, so tomorrow uh, is when the voting is slated to happen. So if the postponing doesn't end up happening, it goes through tomorrow. And uh, Representative Kevin McCarthy will need to convince all the Republicans to be on his side in order to secure the nomination for Speaker of the House. These are things that we'll be monitoring closely. Back to
1: uh, you. All right, Marjorie, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Stay, stay warm. I know it's a little bit chilly out there. <laughs> well, the, uh, the process, and I've had a number of conversations uh, even today with uh, various members, and the, uh, the candidate, McCarthy, Senator, uh, C- Congressman McCarthy, has to get at least a majority. But then you'll have um, about 30 days, well, a little bit more, when the House convenes in January, he'll have to get 218. So it's going to be uh, with a slim, slim majority of possibly 219, 220. Highest number might be 222 of Republicans. Uh, it's going to be something to, uh, to watch over the next uh, month or so. Okay, back uh, to foreign policy issues. President Biden met with Chinese President Xi Jinping in Indonesia at the G20 summit today. Now, the three-hour meeting was the first face-to-face meeting that they've had as leaders of their respective countries. Now, prior to the meeting, President Biden said this.
2: The world expects, I believe, China and the United States to play key roles in addressing global challenges from climate, Uh, changes to food insecurity and uh, for us to be
1: able to work together
2: the united states stands ready to do just that work with you if that's what you desire
1: well joining me now to discuss this is china expert gordon chang author of the coming collapse of china and the great u.s china tech war you can follow him on twitter at gordon g chang gordon welcome back to washington watch thank you so much tony Let me just start with this, because this is at the top of my mind, and it was in the president's comments that you just heard there. Is uh, climate change a priority for China? Um, It
4: is a priority in the sense that it knows that the Biden administration is focused on it. So it is using climate as a way of getting the United States to do things that China wants. But obviously, China is pouring more and more carbon into the air. Um, They're permitted to do that by the 2015 Paris Accord, which actually has an incentive for China to pollute more. So Beijing's taking full advantage of that. I mean, they don't really care about the climate. If they did, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing, Tony.
1: So, Gordon, I mean, they are, In the president in another statement said he doesn't want conflict, he wants competition, and China certainly is a competitor for us economically, militarily, but yet they have a separate set of rules that they operate by, as you just made reference to, when it comes to the climate.
4: Well, when it comes to climate or anything else, I mean, China's separate set of rules are no rules. They'll violate any rules. And so agreements with China are worthless. Actually, they're worse than worthless because you know China doesn't honor them, but we feel bound by our commitments. And so um, this is a very bad situation for us. We should be imposing costs on China, not trying to come to agreements with China.
1: All right. So let's step back at uh, the 30,000 foot level. Your thoughts on the, the meeting, what you've heard thus far from the gathering of the two.
4: I didn't think this summit should
1: take place in the first place.
4: And, and the reason is that uh, while we talk to China, and, and, and uh, President Biden announced that there would be working groups with China on various issues, including climate. But while we talk to China, Tony, China con- continues unacceptable behavior and conduct. And we do not impose costs. Uh, we have seen this before. We've set up working groups. We have regular dialogue mechanisms. And it just doesn't work. We've got to understand the challenge from China and meet it accordingly. Because if we don't do that, and even though we are the far stronger society, but if we don't recognize the challenge, we could lose our country, Tony.
1: The president said human rights was a part of the, the agreement they've got to, China's got to come along on human rights. But we don't see any movement there on behalf of China when it comes to human rights.
4: No, and we won't because the denial of human rights, the oppression of people, is at the core of Communist Party rule. But it's important for the United States to talk about human rights because when we do that, China has no answer for us. And it's been wrong for presidents not to emphasize this. So, um, democracy, human rights, these are things which play to um, the strengths of the international community. And we should press the advantage because China has. Um, so concerned about it. Matter of fact, China believes, uh, the regime believes that it can never be secure as long as the United States exists, because it's not any of our policies that they're worried about. It's because of our values and because our form of governance. And they're worried about the inspirational impact that we have on the Chinese people. We should be taking advantage of that, Tony. And unfortunately, we don't.
1: That's actually the leverage point that we have with many countries that have uh, dictatorial leadership. Iran, one of those, is that we have leverage with the people. And I know the previous administration, in fact, I was with former Secretary Mike Pompeo uh, end of last week. He's repeatedly said, you know, our beef is not with the Chinese people. We love the Chinese people. Uh, It is with the Communist Party that is suppressing and repressing the Chinese people.
4: Yes. In July of 2020, um, Secretary Pompeo gave a landmark speech at the Nixon Library. And and in those remarks, he said that the one thing that just drives the Chinese leaders crazy is when he he, Secretary Pompeo, tried to talk to the Chinese people directly. And we should be doing more of that because we know that when we do that, we have an impact on China. We change China when we do that. We don't change China for the better when we talk to the Communist Party leaders, like, for instance, we did today.
1: So how do we talk to the Chinese people? What, what are the mechanisms we can use?
4: Well, first of all, um, we can blast through the Great Firewall, and um, we can invest in those technologies that can do that. Um, we have taken down Voice of America, Radio Free Asia, and our other ways of talking to China. Um, but these, these are things which are really critical for us. And when um, American leaders go to China, which I don't think we should, but when they do go to China, as they do, then there should be a concerted effort to actually have that dialogue with people. And we can do that. Um, you know, we allow uh, Chinese diplomats to talk to Americans. Um, we should demand the same right, when our diplomats are in China. This is just an issue of reciprocity.
1: Yeah. All right, uh, Gordon Chang, we're up against a, a break. But uh, when we come back, I want to talk about some more of these leverage points that we can use, you know, to address these issues with China that are a priority to us and, and obviously in protecting or at least trying to create a, a fair economic playing field when it comes to, uh, to China. So folks, stick with us. Gordon Chang's going to Stick around uh, for the next segment. Also wanted to uh, let you know tomorrow night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, we will have a special Pray Vote Stand broadcast at PrayVoteStand.org. We'll be praying for the election results. I mean, we're a week out from the election. We still don't have the results. It's not right. We're going to be praying about that uh, tomorrow night, so make plans now to join us. All right, stick around. Gordon Chang is going to be with us on the other side of the break.
5: For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have
0: essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans.
2: It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans.
6: He says, we saw this, and that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses.
5: The God Who Speaks is a feature-linked documentary from the American Family Association, Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org.
0: Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Question: Do you know a nurse? Well, we do. Our daughter in love is an RN. Her name is Lisa. It's a
1: hard job. She serves some of the sickest of people. Many are addicts who've been overdosed. Some are dying from cancer. Some are emotionally sick. All are having health issues. Listen to Matthew chapter 10, verse 42.
5: Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly, I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Our medical caregivers are often overworked with long hours. They must stay aware of medications and the needs of the patients they are assigned to serve. Sometimes they are terribly treated. Some are discouraged and all are tired. The nurse may only need to offer a sip of water or touch a burning lip with a piece of ice. If you
0: have been in the hospital or under the care of a nurse, there's one simple way to give them encouragement. Make sure you say thank you. Learn more at HopeForTheHome.org.
6: A teenage jihadist comes to Christ. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and I met young Ahmed when I visited the Middle East. His father died fighting for ISIS, his mother was an extremist, and young Ahmed was gonna be a suicide bomber by killing himself and others being sold out to violent Islam. Now his mother and siblings, they came to Christ, they prayed nonstop for his salvation, and when it came, he was beaten nearly to death by extremists. And when I caught up with him several villages over, I asked Ahmed, what's your Bible mean to you? And he said, I can look here and see where Jesus says they'll hate you because they they hated me. And where Jesus says, I'm with you always. Now listen, having a Bible, it meant everything to him and gave him perspective. And his prayer was for believers there who need God's word to endure and persevere. And I said, Ahmed, those Bibles, they're coming. $5 sends a Bible, $50 sends 10, $500 sends 100. Please, in this season of giving, bless the persecuted church by calling 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give it SendBiblesNow.org. SendBiblesNow.org. And God bless you.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. I'm here with China expert Gordon Chang to continue our conversation on President Biden's face-to-face meeting, the first as president, with Chinese President Xi Jinping at the G20 summit in Indonesia. Uh, you can find George, uh, Gordon on Twitter at uh, Gordon G. Chang. Um, Gordon, before we get into these leverage points that the U.S. might have in bringing China along on some of the things we care about I want to go to the topic of Taiwan because that apparently came up in the meeting and I want to play a short clip of what Biden President Biden had to say play clip number seven please.
2: I do not think there's any imminent attempt on the part of China to invade Taiwan. I made it clear that we want to see cross-strait issues peacefully resolved and uh, and so it never has to come to that and uh, I'm convinced that uh, that he understood exactly what I was saying. I understood what he was saying.
1: Gordon, what do you make of that?
2: Well, if by imminent,
4: you mean the next couple months, I'd have to agree with him. Um, But we have to understand that China is on a much shorter time frame for annexing Taiwan. And this comes from, for instance, the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, who about a week and a half ago actually talked about China moving faster than most people in Washington thought. Um, the chief of naval operations, the the senior sailor in the Navy, um, Admiral Gilme- Gilday, he actually said he couldn't rule out an invasion this year. So um, I think that we're seeing a lack of sense of urgency, not only in the Biden administration, but also in the senior reaches of the Pentagon. And that what worries me the most. Um, so um, yeah, it's maybe not imminent, quote unquote, but we got to remember that Xi Jinping at the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party last month actually appointed what's now being called a war cabinet. And on Tuesday, he talked about the Chinese military should prepare for war and talked about China's position in the world, which sounded a little bit unhinged. So yes, we've got
1: to be extremely concerned. So, Do you think the president, uh, President Biden, is taking uh, Xi at his uh, at his word? I don't know if he's taking Xi at his word, but I think
4: that uh, President Biden is not taking the threat seriously enough and certainly not thinking about it in terms of the urgency that's required, Um, because China is not only building up its military, it's it's like the fastest buildup in the history since the Second World War. But he's and this is more ominous. He is actually mobilizing China's civilians for war. So this is a total country effort. And we don't get a sense from Biden of what's happening. Remember, about six weeks or so ago, Biden held a closed door session for Democratic Party donors where the president actually talked about the threat of Armageddon. Right. Well, you know, if he's talking about that with a certain segment of the American people, he has a responsibility to talk to all of us about this because that both the Chinese and the Russians and the North Koreans have been threatening the first use of nuclear weapons recently.
1: So I, I want to go back to for just a minute, Gordon, with the military effort, the buildup that's taking place in China. I mean, they're launching almost a ship a week. I mean, they are really, really going after it. And as you said, they're uh, preparing to mobilize or mobilizing the civilian force. Why would you do that unless you're putting yourself on war footing?
4: Uh, no, this is clear. You know, We don't know what's in Xi Jinping's mind, only he does. But the point is, he is making uh, China ready to go to war, which means that we need to be ready to defend ourselves, our allies, and friends, and that includes Taiwan. So right now, you have the President of the United States, who is not fulfilling his most important constitutional duty, which is to protect the American people from foreign attack. And so um, Biden, you know, while he may make rhetorical gestures and some of those rhetorical gestures aren't bad. The point is, we need to see it followed up by action.
1: All right, Gordon. So very quickly, what, what are some of the leverage points that we can use short of, you know, trying to um, stave off some type of military confrontation? What can we be doing that could, uh, you know, kind of put China in its place? Well, one of the things we could do is stop funding the Chinese military.
4: We do that not only with our trade, um, but also with our investment, investment into Chinese companies, because um, there is no civil or military distinction in China. It's all at the service of the Chinese military. That's Xi Jinping's civil military fusion doctrine. We've got to recognize this is a whole of country effort directed against us. We shouldn't be funding it with our money.
1: And when you're talking about we funding it, that's a lot uh, Wall Street, a lot of the investments going into China.
4: Yes. And it's also the federal government's thrift savings plan, which military members contribute to it. So this is hideous. You have China's mil. Uh, you have America's military members funding the development of weapons that China is, is configuring to kill Americans. I mean, this is just unspeakable.
1: <laughs> it. it- it really is. It, it makes absolutely no sense. But we've, we, and this is a bipartisan issue. We see Republicans yes. and Democrats both cozying up to to China. We've seen individuals leave both administrations, both Democratic and Republican administrations, and go to work indirectly for the Chinese Communist Party.
4: Yes, um, this is bipartisan failure across the political spectrum. It's not just Democrats. It's not just liberals. It's conservatives and Republicans. So uh, we've got to understand that um, uh, the American elite is not defending the American people and the American
1: Republic. Is it a uh, final question for you, Gordon Chang? Is it just a maybe a lack of understanding of the severity of the threat? Or is it the enticement of the dollars to be made via the well, Chinese what- Communist Party?
4: For Wall Street and Walmart, it's enticement. But I think for most of the rest of us, it is a failure to understand what the Chinese are doing and the maliciousness of China's assault on the United States. So it's a perception failure on the part of the American elites.
1: All right. Uh, Gordon Chang, thanks so much for taking time to join us, out on the, join us on this Monday. Well, thank you, Tony. All right. Gordon Chang, you can find him at Gordon G. Chang uh, on Twitter. Again, this goes back to each and every one of us having, I think, personal responsibility in how we buy things. I mean, if you know, we make it an intentional effort to not buy products made in China, and I tell you, it is extremely hard. Some of the places we like to shop, things are made in China, and it's because of their cheap products. And Americans want a deal. I tell you, We don't want to fund the Chinese Communist Party, so be responsible in how you spend your money. If you can, don't spend it on products made in China. All right, coming up, a bizarre effort to enlist fake leaders in the fight against climate change included activists staging a smashing of mock tablets near Mount Sinai and simultaneously joining together on high places around the the world. We're going to talk about that next here on Washington Watch.
7: Hello, everyone. Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Hey, if you're looking for a vacation with a purpose in 2023, why don't you consider joining us on one of our spiritual heritage tours? We're going to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and George Washington's Mount Vernon. And then we're also going to Jamestown, Williamsburg, and Yorktown. Those are two separate tours, June and September. We're going to go, and if you'd like more information on these, go to spiritualheritagetours.com, spiritualheritagetours.com. Stephen McDowell, the president of the Providence Foundation and a uh, true American historian will be joining us for both of these tours, and you will be enlightened and encouraged and educated and informed And you'll be joining Christians from all over America on one of our tours. Spiritualheritagetours.com is the website. Check it out.
5: From the first phone call that I made, they had me on a track to mitigate the credit card debt.
0: Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands.
5: Working with Trinity gave me the ability to save thousands of dollars. My name's Doug, and thanks to Trinity, I'm debt-free for keeps.
0: Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. Now, each year... A country representing a different region of the world takes over the presidency of the Conference of Parties, which they call the COP. Now, this is the United Nations Climate Change Conference. Now, this year, as we mentioned earlier, it was in Egypt. The conference started on November the 7th, and it goes through the 18th. It's in uh, Sharm el-Sheikh, a remote resort town between the desert of the Sinai Peninsula and the Red Sea. Now, you might ask, you know, what important matters do they tackle at the COP meeting? Well, today, according to their website, it's Gender Day at COP27. I'm not quite sure what uh, gender has to do with the climate, but, you know, like everything on the left, it all surrounds gender. I don't know. Maybe they have a guessing game. Can you guess what gender I am? I, I don't know. I'll leave that alone before my wife texts me. But I, I want to talk about something that actually happened yesterday. Reportedly, religious leaders in different countries, and I have no idea how many. I doubt that there were a lot since they didn't state an exact number. But they unveiled the Ten Principles for Climate Repentance. All right, so don't don't miss the significance there. They were by Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were given, and they have the Ten Principles for Climate Repentance. Now, these uh, actually have them here. I'll get them here in a moment. But they unveiled these, and the goal that they had originally was to go to Mount Sinai and bring the green tablets down from on high. But according to reports, the Egyptian government would not grant them access to Mount Sinai. So the event organized by Rabbi Yontan Niel, officially announced the effort, according to the Times of Israel, from a ceremony on Parliament Hill, the highest point in London. Now, ceremonies, according to the Times of Israel, ceremonies are, uh, and I'm just reading from the article, are also planned for high points in Jerusalem, Salt Lake City, Ecuador, Australia, and India's Mount Abu. So, did you catch that? They are doing these, or they released these last night on high points high places in these cities around the globe. Now, that sounds a lot like religion. Global warming, climate change has become a religion for the left. Now, I do have a question, because they were repenting. Well, who were they repenting to? It appears that they were repenting to the earth now this stuff is just it is it is earth worship is what we see happening it's a religion now here are the ten principles of climate change climate repentance rather we are stewards of this world that's number one number two creation manifest divinity okay Number three, everything in life is interconnected. Number four, do no harm. Number five, look after tomorrow. Number six, rise above ego for our world. Number seven, change our inner climate. Eight, repent and return. Not quite sure to who or what. Nine, every action matters. Ten, use mind, open heart. You know what happened in the high places in the Old Testament? That's where all of the idolatry took place. I think it's significant that while this was not an official part that, that I can tell from the United Nations Climate Summit, this is the, uh, the, the left-leaning kind of globalist religi- religious religious community coming alongside the climate agenda and doing these ceremonies on high places around the world. This is a form of idolatry. And while I, look, I am all about protecting the environment. I'm a conservationist. I love the outdoors. I think that we should take good care of what God has entrusted to us. You know, and, and, and quite frankly, we have been. We've been doing a lot better, especially in this country, where we've reduced emissions. We've cleaned up our water. And we should do more. And technology will allow us to do more. But this is taking on the form of a religion. And when you see the president and all of the left clamoring for us to surrender national sovereignty to a global entity the united nations on climate and then you have the emergence of a what appears to be a unified world religion around the climate folks that stuff of that looks like it comes right out of the bible one world government one world religion Just saying, this stuff needs to be scrutinized very, very carefully. And I know they'll say, oh, you're you're making things up. Read it for yourself. Literally. Holding these ceremonies of repentance on high places around the world. All right. That's a part of the global warming agenda. All right, coming up, a night to celebrate Israel at the Museum of the Bible. We're going to talk about that with one of the organizers, and then we're going to get an update on the lame duck session of Congress, as well as the latest on some of the election results as they come in. So don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead.
8: Today we find that global persecution of Christians is growing and becoming more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's new book, Heroic Faith, highlights personal stories from those who endure religious persecution and takes a close look at the tragic circumstances Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is important for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who suffer deeply and dangerously and do what we can to help them. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org heroicfaith.
0: I refer to your part-time job as what you do outside of your home, outside of your family, to generate an income for your family. Your full-time job is what you do within your family. We're on the go consistently, people hustling trying to get it. And I just want to remind everybody to whoa, 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 pop the brakes, make sure that we are not neglecting our families in the process. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Show up at your full-time jobs, ready to work. <laughs>
5: You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a healthcare plan that isn't affordable, or you simply just don't like how it works, well, right now during open enrollment is a perfect time to switch to Medishare. The typical family saves five hundred dollars a month when they join Medishare, and what's more, they like it. Medishare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to the industry. That's double. And Medishare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for thirty years. It's shared more than four billion dollars in healthcare bills. And here's why now is the perfect time to make the switch. If you join MetaShare Complete by January 1st, they will waive your new member fees and you'll save an additional 10% off your first year. That's right. No fee to join, 10% off every month for all of next year. But again, it's a limited time offer. So yeah, you're not stuck. You've got a great option. Call now, 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833 44 bible 833-44-BIBLE.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this uh, Monday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. As our audience knows, Israel is a special place where God's promises first unfolded for the world to see. It is one of the few places in the Middle East that gets to experience freedoms we take for granted here in the United States, and it is important a Christian show support for the Israeli nation and for the Israeli people. Well, there's an upcoming event, Night to Celebrate Israel, happening this Wednesday night here in D.C. at the Museum of the Bible. Joining me now to share about this special event is Pastor Mario Bramnick, who is one of the organizers. Mario, welcome to Washington Watch.
9: Thank you so much, Tony. Good to see you.
1: So tell our audience about uh, the event this
9: Wednesday night. Our organization, Latino Coalition for Israel, will be hosting uh, a night to celebrate Israel at the Museum of the Bible, as you mentioned, this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We are very honored to have with us Ambassador Gilad Ardan, who is the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, and Ambassador Sam Brownback, which is a dear friend to many of us and your viewers. Uh, Michelle Bachman, as well, will be joining us. Uh, Jason Greenblatt, who uh, many of you might be aware, uh, was special envoy uh, during the Trump administration on Middle East policy. And Eli Kohanim, uh, who was a Trump appointee, special Envoy, Deputy Special Envoy, combating Anti-Semitism at the State Department, as well as Senator Rick Scott. So we got uh, quite quite an event, uh, all of which talking about the importance of U.S. Israel relations uh, and a strong uh, support of Israel, which is so important for our own security and and also the protection of the Lord over our nation. So, so Mario, what what was the inspiration behind this event? Um, our organization. Uh, host events like this in the united states and in latin america Um, we are obviously at a very critical juncture in the history of our nation on many fronts israel being one of the important fronts Um, if we turn our backs against israel we can no longer presume upon the grace and protection of the Lord. Everybody knows Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Those that bless Israel shall be blessed. Those that curse Israel shall be cursed. And I think that we need to understand, and I, I know you, you met, uh, above many, uh, are tell the church the importance that we need to pray, but we also need to act and stand uh, for values. Um, and one of those values, obviously pro-life, pro-marriage, religious liberty, but one of those very important values is where our nation stands vis-a-vis the nation of Israel. Yeah.
1: So where can our listeners and viewers go to find out more about this event this coming Wednesday night?
9: Uh, the event is free of charge. It starts at 7 p.m. this Wednesday, as you said, at the Museum of the Bible. Uh, all they need to do is register lci.global, Night to Celebrate Israel.
1: All right. Very good. Mario Bramnik, good to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thank you. God bless you. All right, so find out more. You can uh, actually go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. And let me again remind you, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern time, we will have a special pray vote stand broadcast praying for the elections. It's been almost a week. Tomorrow it will be a week since the midterm elections, and we still have races that have not been called. I've I've been tracking this through the weekend, and we have some places in, in California where only... Like 53% of the vote have been reported. I mean, that's, quite frankly, unacceptable. And that's something we're going to have to talk about. In fact, I'm probably going to start talking about it this week. Uh, We should not have to wait this long for election results in the most technologically advanced nation in the world. And this just opens it up to concerns about manipulation. Not saying anything's happening, but it certainly raises questions. So where do we stand at present? What does it look like going forward? Joining me now is Matt Carpenter, director of FRC Action. Matt, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right, so before we jump into the latest on the election results, let's talk first lame duck session of Congress. Chuck Schumer gloating over the weekend that uh, he is still going to be the leader in the Senate. And, of course, uh, his priority is about, uh, you know, about as twisted as a dog's hind leg. Mm. And one of the top things he wants to do is the uh, so-called Respect for Marriage Act. Where's that stand?
10: Well, Tony, we had thought over the weekend that maybe today would be the day that he would file for cloture. So that's when they end debate and they begin moving to the substance of the bill, where they have to clear that 60-vote threshold for the filibuster. And um, the latest I've seen is they have not filed cloture. They're still in debate. But the, the thinking from from what I'm hearing is maybe Wednesday is when they'll, they'll move to that. And then I think it's a 48-hour window after that is when they would go to a vote there. So... All eyes are, frankly, on the Republican caucus at this point. There's been some motion that you have some Republican senators breaking, breaking ranks and will support the bill. Um, a few others have been sort of opaque with where they stand, so there's a lot hanging on the balance at this time.
1: Well, even as the uh, the program's been g- going on, I've been getting text from uh, d- different ones connected w- with this in the Senate, and there is a an effort by... Um, in part, he's not the only one, but North Carolina Senator uh, Tillis um, is putting forward um, a modified bill that has, quote-unquote, religious liberty protections. It is, it is not. It is uh, it's a fig leaf of protection. It's, it's meaningless. And so, folks, I'm just going to—again, we did this before the election, and I'm going to encourage you again— to contact your two senators especially if you have republican senators and make sure that they will not support the democrats efforts to codify the courts redefinition of marriage into law what this will do is be a green light to persecute people of faith and those who hold to the historical and natural definition of marriage. you think it's been bad in the last seven years? This will be connected to what our children are taught in schools and parents objecting to it in many places will be denied based upon this redefinition that will be put into federal law. So contact your two senators. Here's a phone number to the Senate switchboard, 202-224-21... I'm sorry, 224... 3121 i let mean let me double check on that matt is that right is you it know 31? i know we did let we me, did
10: get an alert out as well um so i would encourage your, your viewers to check their inboxes we sent that out on saturday and if not if you're not receiving those alerts go to frcaction.org and you can sign up there
1: okay i just verified it 224-3121 3121 202 224-3121 capital switchboard where you can contact your two senators. Just you, just tell them what state you're from, and they'll connect you with the office if you do not have our action alert, which also makes it a lot easier. be Easier if you had our action alert, but still you can call the switchboard. And you need to weigh in. Even if you've already called and you called before the election, call again. They need to hear from you because there are some Republicans that are going weak on this and accepting a you know, like I said, a fig leaf of protection for religious freedom, like uh, Senator Tillis in North Carolina. Uh, give him a call, tell him, This is unacceptable, uh, and and do not do not support uh, putting this court redefinition of marriage into uh, federal law. All right, Matt. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk
10: now. Elections. Where do things stand? Well, Tony, you pointed out earlier we're the most technologically advanced nation in the world. We put a man on the moon, but apparently we can't get election results almost a week out from election day. Uh, and some important statewide races. I'm I'm talking about Arizona. is probably the marquee one at this point. But um, there are still about, Tony, 18 to 20 house races that have yet to be called, half of which are coming out of California. You look at at some of those, and you're looking at 36 percent reporting, 46 percent reporting for some of these.
1: And this goes back to California and their changing of their election laws so that you have these mail-in ballots, and this stuff can take literally weeks to be... To be counted. And, and we're told uh, we shouldn't pay any attention to this. I think this is a problem.
10: It's a huge problem. And we've seen them stretch the uh, election season on the front end, and kind of increasing the early vote when the ballots go out, allowing in person um, voting a little earlier. But now we're seeing the count get stretched on the back end as well. Uh, and it, it does introduce some additional points of failure, frankly, Correct. along the chain of custody lines. Um, there's human error in counting always and what's going on now in Arizona is there's this ballot curing thing where people if you've cast your ballot and it hasn't been counted and you want to check on its status and make sure you got the date right or your signature is is right so again that's an additional point of failure that that does raise some concerns about the about the final tally and Again, we're not alleging anything. Right. We're just pointing out potential points of failure. We're, put, we're human error is a thing, and and it's going to happen. Well, we're
1: pointing out that we're almost a week removed from the election, and right. we do not know who will control the House of Representatives. Yep. I mean, that's a, that's a significant uh, issue. In fact, Republicans meeting now to talk about who their leader is going to be, and they don't even know. I mean, th- it looks like they were going to have the majority. I mean. But anything can happen when you have, as you said, this process that is open to manipulation.
10: Yeah. It's a reminder that every vote counts. Yeah. And I was thinking back to 2019, I think it was, when the Virginia House of Delegates uh, rested on, I think it was... I think they literally pulled they, they, a name. they drew a name out of a
1: hat and that race actually decided the balance of right. the uh, mm-hmm. of the uh, House of Delegates.
10: Yeah. And as we go into this lame duck session, it's just so important to remember that there is still a lot of legislation that gets handled and who gets in matters big time. And so we have to make sure every vote gets counted. We have to make sure people get out and vote. Um, we can't be discouraged, but we have to ask the question, why is it taking so long to get these these vote counts right. tabulated?
1: There are some races right now where you've got, uh, in California, 84-vote difference, um, 894 in one race. I mean, some of these races are decided by just a handful of votes, so people need to be uh, voting. I mean, I know, obviously, we're we're past this election, but this is why every vote... Matters, so this is going to set up a scenario where you the house i mean the Republicans at the probably the max would be two hundred and twenty two yeah, they need two hundred and eighteen. Mm-hmm. that means whoever will be the House speaker if it 's not Kevin McCarthy if it 's someone else, have very little margins to work right. with
10: yeah and and I think this stems back to redistricting a little bit what the Republicans and red states tended to do is draw more safer districts for incumbents so i think that's that's going to give you a maybe a more durable republican majority or a durable kind of core to work from but um but we're going to see slimmer majorities i think going forward
1: what do we know just do do we how much do we know at this point on this incoming um freshman class and and what the composition of the republican conference will look like now
10: it's still very much in flux at this moment. I think they called uh, New York 22 today for uh, Brandon Williams, I think his name was. He's a, obviously a new member. Um, Lauren Boebert is, uh, you know, I think yeah, she's running she's, for election. Yeah, she's about 0.3%. Uh, yeah. um, I mean, 2,000 th- votes, I think. It's yeah. 96% reporting. Yeah. Um, uh, the big surprise was David Schweikert in Arizona won yesterday. Was behind all the way through up until yesterday, then suddenly screeched ahead by about 900 votes, and so he's hanging on for dear life um, to that lead. And so I think that's again about 96% reporting there. And so that's that situation is playing out elsewhere as well. Um, Republicans currently lead, I think, ten of the of the. Uh, I'm sorry, six of the ten uh, districts in California that have yet to be called. Right. So they're they're in the driver's seat in a lot of these races. But again, it remains to be seen what happens when the when all the ballots are counted.
1: So, when you look at the composition of uh, potential composition of the Republican Conference, are we looking at a uh, conference of Republicans that has become more conservative?
10: It's hard to say. Um, I, I, my my impression, Tony, is that when you when you've drawn a district that has more Republican voters in it, I think election day on the right is going to move more towards the primary day, and so I think members might respond to that. And they'll realize that they're vulnerable to maybe a flank on their right. And so hopefully they would vote accordingly. Um, I think it's too early to say, frankly, though. Uh,
1: any idea how many uh, new members we will have in total, roughly? Are we looking at about a third new member? I think so. I
10: think it was a very high turnover election um, for sure. I don't know the exact number right now, but yeah, I, I think that's about right. There were a lot of members who retired. I think it was a Thirty-something members retired. A lot of Democrats. actually A lot of retired. Democrats did. Yep. And you had a lot of members who actually ran for uh, higher office, whether they ran for senator or for a governor's office a race or something like along those lines too. So it was just a big turnover election. Uh,
1: just about a minute or so left. What do we know about Georgia? We're going to have the runoff yeah. there. How, how how are things shaping up there? How big of a race is that going to be now that control of the Senate has been decided?
10: It's the, the pressure is probably off a little bit now that it's you know. It's not. It's not the race that's going to decide whether it's uh, 50-50 or or you know Republican control at this point. But still, 200 million dollars was spent there in the regular, uh, in the regular election. Uh, Herschel Walker was down by about 48 thousand votes. Um, it's it's basically going to be does this come down to, to a 50-50 split or does uh, does Chuck Schumer get an extra vote there and then maybe they just have to flip one senator for the filibuster. Uh, to change the rules there so that's kinda how I'm viewing this right now it's not really you know Mitch McConnell is probably not gonna be the Senate majority leader there's not gonna be a Republican majority in the Senate um but you bring up a good point
1: this um when we look at uh, the West Virginia senator uh, Senator Manchin who has been not real happy with the Democrats if uh, he remains kinda the pivotal senator because you have a 50-50 split that tends to uh, bode well for the republicans
10: yeah i would agree and it's also interesting to see kirsten cinema who's also been sort of sticking the mud on the filibuster issue she's up for re-election in 2024 as is joe manchin so it'll be very interesting to see how they navigate those uh, those waters
1: well of course the filibuster won't matter legislative filibuster won't matter as much because if the republicans have control of the house more for nominations and how they move things through right uh, Matt, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right, folks, and we're going to continue to uh, track all of this and keep you informed of this lame duck session. But again, I want to encourage you to contact your senators regarding this so-called Respect for Marriage Act, two zero two 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 four thirty one twenty one. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed...